Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is Harvard University Distinguished Service Professor Joseph Nye. A former dean of the Kennedy School, Professor Nye has on several occasions been voted one of the most influential political scientists in the country to quote Foreign Policy magazine, all roads to understanding American foreign policy run through Joe Nye, end quote. Joe, welcome to the policy. Nice cast. to be with you, Matt. Every time election season rolls around, we hear platitudes from presidential candidates talking about how American power is not in decline. Now, you've just written a book, Presidential Leadership and the Creation of the American Era, which talks about whether a president has really any power over the American hegemony. What made you pursue this particular subject? Well, I've written in the past on American power and where it fits in the world, and I've also written on leadership, and I thought it might be interesting to combine the two. So I basically take the question, if the United States went from being a second-rate power at the beginning of the 20th century to being the world's only superpower at the end of the century, did presidents matter? Now, words, did leadership make any difference, or would it all have turned out the same anyway? So you uh, describe kind of a balance between uh, what could be described as structural uh, reasons for the United States, you know, gaining it, its power in the early 20th century, and individual leadership-driven things. Did you come to any kind of conclusion on w- which may have been the really the driving Well, in force. the presidents that I looked at, the ones who were crucial in terms of America becoming a, a preeminent power, uh, it's interesting. About half of them made a difference, and about half didn't. And I tested that by saying, imagine that you substituted for the president who was involved in a key decision the next most likely person who would have been president. And would history have turned out the same or not? And about half the time it would have, about half it wouldn't have. Was it necessarily a good thing for you know certain presidents to jump in and actually change history? Um, well, not necessarily. The leadership theorists often distinguish between transformational leaders who go for big changes, a big vision, and uh, transactional leaders who sort of keep the trains on the tracks and prevent derailments. And generally people think that it's the first kind that make all the difference. But they can, uh, if they get the train off the tracks uh, because of their big vision, things could be worse. And a good example of this is Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the United States would have gone into World War I, let's say, if Teddy Roosevelt had been the president or William Howard Taft. And, uh, but I, they wouldn't have gone in with the big vision of a League of Nations and re- re- replacing the balance of power with a whole new collective security system. Uh, that was Wilson's unique contribution, his transformational vision. But he wasn't able to pull it off. And the fact that he couldn't implement the vision that he had meant things wound up worse rather than better. So we wound up with the extreme isolationism of the 1930s, which made Franklin Roosevelt uh, have a hard struggle to try to get the Americans to counter Hitler in World War II. Now, it seems Wilson may be a unique case because uh, you know, his grand vision ended up becoming the uh, vision that we saw in the 1940s after World War II with you know, the United Nations and all of that. Is there something uh, about transformational leadership that, uh, I guess, impacts the future more than perhaps the present? Well, if you take a, a leader like George H.W. Bush, who uh, famously said, I don't do the vision thing, 
he presided over a transformation which was tremendously important. Think of the beginning of 1989. Europe was divided by the Berlin Wall, still had the old Cold War boundaries, 400,000 Soviet troops in East Germany. And Bush presided over two years in which Germany unified inside NATO and not a shot was fired. That's an extraordinary job of skillful leadership. It wasn't because of his vision. It was because of his managerial skills, if you want. So in that sense, the world is very different because of George H.W. Bush. But it's different not because of his vision, but because of his skills at managing an, an amazing transition that would have been in the cards anyway, but which could have led to a bad outcome rather than just a good outcome. So is the difference between uh, transformational and transactional, is it really a, a sense of style in leadership, or is it more about kind of the uh, breadth of, of the vision that a president might have? Well, we often talk about transformational leaders as having a desire to make major changes, and uh, that's often accompanied by an inspirational style. But uh, you can have a, a, a leader with an inspirational style, uh, Bill Clinton, who didn't have a particularly transformational vision. And, uh, or you can have another leader like George W. Bush, the son of, the, of uh, George H.W. Bush, who uh, had a transformational vision after 9-11 to change the Middle East by bringing democracy to Iraq. Um, but he was not particularly inspired in his style. He wasn't a great orator. You've also spoken or at least written about the ethical piece of this. Is there any particular uh, uh, difference between transformational, transactional presidents in the terms of the results of their you know, ethical uh, obligations? Well, I think that uh, you can argue that sometimes transactional leaders uh, are more prudent, they're more careful. And if you judge ethics on three dimensions, not just your vision or your grand intentions, uh, but also the means you use, and then by the consequences that you have, uh, transactional leaders often are more attentive to consequences. So just to compare the two Bush presidencies, uh, George H.W. Bush didn't have a grand vision, but was very smart about the means he used and about the probability of success, which means the consequences he produced. Uh, the son, George W. Bush, uh, developed a grand vision, uh, tried means, namely the occupation and reform of Iraq, which were beyond his capacity, and had consequences which were quite bad, I would argue, for the United States. So in that sense, uh, his transformational vision may have gotten him into situations where he had consequences which were uh, bad rather than good. Is this all a consequence of the great pendulum that everybody talks about in, uh, in American politics? Is this something where um, you know, uh, a certain president is right for the time? Or is there actually, uh, did you find that you know, we'd prefer to have transactional in general if, if need be? No, I think the American people probably like the idea of a transformational president. Uh, the rhetoric is very appealing. Uh, it's interesting in this century we've had two presidents, uh, George W. Bush and Barack Obama. It's interesting that George W. Bush ran in the 2000 campaign without any interest in foreign policy. Uh, so in that sense he appeared to be transactional. But then after 9-11 and the shock 
the country, but also him, he developed this grand vision. Obama, in 2008, ran as though he was going to be transformational, bend the course of history, the arc of history, as he put it. Uh, but in fact, he's been quite prudent, quite transactional. So he's turned out to be more like Bush the father than Bush the son. So I don't think there's a cycle as such. I think it's uh, it, it turns out that more on the personal skills and, and capacities of the presidents. And some of them fit their time very well, and some of them don't. In the grand scheme of things, uh, it seems Americans are generally a little bit insecure about the their their power. <laughs> um, there's always the question of decline, and it seems to mm-hmm. be a recurring thing that comes up. Um, is that something that citizens of the United States should be worried about? Well, Americans have a long history of, of thinking they're in decline. After the Soviets put up a Sputnik in the 50s, we thought we were in decline. When the Japanese were doing so well in manufacturing in the 80s, we thought that we were in decline. Now people look at China and they say we're in decline. In practice, uh, we do much better than that. But maybe that anxiety about decline helps us to keep on our toes. Uh, I think the danger is that when it's exaggerated, when people are too pessimistic about the prospects for the United States, they may turn to policies which are not appropriate. But I'm, I think it's probably uh, that declinism uh, is probably with us. It's, part, it's baked into our, uh, our view of ourselves. So would you count yourself as uh, optimistic about the future? I tend to be optimistic about the position of the United States. I, I mean, people think China is going to pass the U.S. I doubt it. Um, in, in, in terms of overall power, in terms of the size of the economy, it may be larger. But even when the Chinese economy is larger, it will not be up to the United States in per capita income, or nor will it be equal to the United States in military power, nor equal in soft power, the ability to get what you want through attraction and persuasion. So I think if I had to ask if I could play the Chinese hand or the American hand for the next half century, which one would I choose? I'd choose the American hand. When uh, uh, the next great historian looks back um, in the year 2100 at the um, early 21st century, do you think he or she will look back and see President Obama, President Bush, as particularly powerful in changing that course, that course of American power? Well, I think what the United States needs to do in this century is realize that uh, even if it remains the largest power, it's not going to be able to get what it wants acting alone because of what I call the rise of the rest. It's not the United States is in decline, but there are just many more actors, China, Brazil, India, Turkey, so forth, that are playing larger roles, as well as a number of non-state actors. And a sensible American foreign policy has got to get the American people to realize that we're going to have to have allies and friends and create networks and develop institutions. Uh, And that is something that's going to take some persuading. So the real test of a president that a historian in 2100 is going to look back to see is did he or she prepare the American people for understanding that more complex world. Well, Professor Joe and I, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu slash policycast. 
and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Thank you.